let's turn to the book of Second Chronicles. We're going to turn to chapter 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26. <clears throat> Just a brief time in the word. Then we can continue praying whoever would like to pray and praise God before we conclude for the evening. On this evening of praise, we thank God that God gets our hearts right to offer up the praises that are pleasing to him. This chapter, Second Chronicles 26. Now all the people of Judah took Isaiah, not Isaiah, but Isaiah or Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. Amaziah is written in the previous chapter. He did the right thing, but not fully. His heart wasn't fully with the Lord. It's amazing how God gives a a sketch of some 19 to 20 or 21 kings, depending upon whether we consider co-regency, that is two kings reigning at the same time in the transitional period, a very short-lived reign of a matter of months. Some 19 to 20 kings, roughly. Each in the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. We have two kings of Judah here. And we know just about everyone in the north, in the Israeli northern kingdom they were not good Judah had some good kings but we also have a picture that is helpful for us as we are striving to be more like Jesus Christ yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit so we can have uh, that which we pray usually that we would have loyal hearts we have a different levels of doing what is right at a basic level and also certain kings whose hearts were really loyal to God. So even those kings that are categorized as those that did right or at least initially, there are different levels there. and We have to always read the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, from the vantage point of having the Holy Spirit, having the completed canon of Scripture, having seen miracles that those kings did not see, having the movement of the Holy Spirit in our assemblies, in a powerful way, people getting set free from demon possession and diseases and all kinds of things, financial difficulties, everything that We can imagine Jesus Christ, the Lord appears in his glorious power and sets people free. Sometimes, many times instantly. Sometimes it takes longer, but he is working. So in hindsight or retrospect, we read this from the time of the kings of Israel and Judah. And we are privileged to see where they did right and went well 
what went well and where they didn't do right and why. So we can avoid the latter and stick to the former. And even sticking to the former, it's not an exact copy that we would like to follow them in their pattern unless it was a king who wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Unless there's something written about that king that speaks of wholehearted obedience. We're not looking to emulate them exactly. We're looking to go beyond that. That's a very important insight and perspective because we can approach the scripture. Just read it for what it is in the sense of this king was bad and that king was good. So I will try to imitate the good king, but miss out on the nuances, uh, differences, what God shows. And as people who have the Holy Spirit, or at least access to the Holy Spirit for revelation, we have to read it with the lens that the Holy Spirit provides. If we're going to live up to what God expects us to live up to, all by His grace, but it's important how we read the scriptures. This King Isaiah was the son of Amaziah. It's written in chapter 25 that Amaziah was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years. You can see that in the opening verses. It says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. There are a number of kings who started out well, ended up with trouble. Some known for tremendous reforms, such as Josiah, they made a wrong move. This morning, I believe we spoke over and over again to exhort the people of God to encourage everyone that we do not have to walk on eggshells be afraid but we do have to be careful and the spirit of God is the one that gives us the alertness hence the difference between approaching God as a community of believers who are okay with the superficial treatment of the word and a superficial self-examination you can say we did those things check the box but God is looking for an assembly of people who will listen to the Holy Spirit and see where real change has to occur because he wants to bless us all the more it's our great privilege to be in the latter group with zeal and diligence and an openness to the Spirit of God This father, when the kingdom was established, he said he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king, justice. And he also did not execute their children because of what the law said, that the children shouldn't suffer for the fathers, vice versa. And he continued, there's a campaign against Edom. 
and then verse 14. You see the downfall and how low this man who was established in the kingdom took matters in his own hands and he began to veer off to the point where by verse 14 he brought the gods of the people from the Edomites and made them his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Didn't God say that shall have no other gods but me, before me? There is no other God. We can say that Amaziah became demon-possessed. Perhaps not in the way we would expect someone to act. Cutting oneself in the tombs, by the tombs, among the graves, crying. Others who are foaming at the mouth and throwing themselves down. But there is a possession of source that will come to a man or woman who is moved by the devil to do outrageous things that are contrary to the will of God. We cannot say that that person has not been possessed by the devil because it doesn't fit the traditional view because their actions are so outrageous and so wicked that only a person who is completely yielded to Satan can do that. We think about cool and calm and collected mass murderers. Otherwise, maybe a nice guy waiting behind you, waiting behind you in the convenience store, such as the BTK killer. He's a very faithful churchgoer. I think he was a deacon or an elder or something for many years. Just walked up to people's houses and he was, I believe, in his 60s. And uh, just slaughtered people. That's the type of possession. Amaziah sunk to that level of not heeding God's counsel, and went for human help. And then he seemed to listen. But then he felt he can do what he felt like. What's wrong with getting those gods? And so he was not a person to emulate. And after he died, untimely death his son took over and he was even younger than Amaziah his father at 16 years of age they made him king now all the people of Judah took Isaiah who was 16 years old and made him king instead of his father Amaziah he built Elath and restored it to Judah 
after the king rested with his fathers. Isaiah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. Such a long reign. That was not a typical length of a reign at all. Great mercy and favor from God. And look at what he ends up doing. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Good beginning. According to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah with understanding the visions of God. That was God's gift to have a prophet there. Imagine if the king was alone, such as in other cases where the uh, wise men or the counselor is gone and then evil starts coming in. It's the grace of God. Not only the length of the reign, but the presence of a prophet who had understanding in the visions of God. Notice, if it's as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. We can know for sure that he would have listened to the counsel coming from this person who had visions from God. Let's follow the narrative and see whether he would turn out to be like Amaziah, doing right but not with a loyal heart or something else happens. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal, and against the Munites. Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Isaiah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. Exceedingly strong. God's favor was all over him. prospered. He went out to battle against the enemy. He prospered. People came and gave tribute. Right now, Israel, as you know in the news, is under attack. When they were following God, they could have had an extended Solomonic period. Because under Solomon, they had rest. That was God's design. He didn't mean for people to come and bother them, harass them, and have to go up and fight and go back home and go back out. And Other than conquering the land that God already allotted to them under Joshua, God's intent was not for them to go around and be constantly under attention, just as today we see. The nation that trusts in the Lord will have the peace of God They'll have the prosperity of God because they're cleaving to the promise of God, fulfilling the conditions, fulfilling the conditions God has set up. The Holy Land is under the watchful eye of the Lord. Because the temple is not there and because the land is not filled with believers, there are some, but most are not. doesn't mean God is forgotten. He remembers his friend Abraham up to this day and forever. His children are special to God. God is grieved when they forget the faith of their father Abraham. And we already know about the diaspora and all the affliction that's happened as they've been scattered for the longest time. And right now we see that 
they have to worry about attacks from within in the southwest Gaza region. Incidentally, that's where the Philistines were, as we're reading here. They're having problems in that area. Same time, they have to go all the way up to the north and uh, be vigilant against the northern borders because Lebanon and the larger Syria is also attacking. And they have uh, enemies sworn to see their demise, Israel's demise, right from the beginning, Persia or Iran. They're surrounded by people who utterly hate them. It's true, God prophesied it, but it doesn't mean that that was his perfect will. They have a history with their kings and their people and with all kinds of filthy things there too. Cities like Tel Aviv and other places. Just as Israelites had the idols, idolatry within the homes that we know about back in the days of some of the kings, so they have it now. God is the same God. He's the same holy God. He's grieved and angry when he sees that. But for the sake of Abraham, for the sake of David, he has mercy and merciful eye toward them. As we know from the inception of the state of Israel to the different wars, how God's favor came very, very conspicuously at critical times to save them. Absolutely by a miracle. Now they're under attack. It said that it, they haven't seen this kind of attack for several years. And the Lord said that it's going to continue to the point where what they're worried about now in the northern border region with Lebanon and Syria, it's going to go further beyond that to the larger countries such as Russia. And also from the east, such as China, going beyond the Arabian Desert and the nations there. As we follow the news, it's interesting. But I don't actually follow it all that much. Bits and pieces here, as the Lord wills. But I do know that uh, though the administration has changed in this country, whereas we would expect the former President Trump to have a solid, strong stance in solidarity with Israel. This president currently, thankfully, by God's grace, we don't know how long it will hold up, but he's going against his own party's pressure to go against Israel as he's defending the right to attack or self-defend themselves. We don't know how long it'll last. We don't know all the behind the scenes. But what's in the press, it said, not, does not match what's happening behind the scenes as they are putting pressure on Israel, this administration. So, no one's really interested in what God said, even if they claim to believe in God. Because if they claim to believe in God and were true, then they would believe his word, which says this land belongs to Abraham's descendants, period. So much pressure from every angle to give up land or to fight and so on. But 
the point we're making here as we're reading Second Chronicles 26 is that these things are a prelude to a greater war that we know, Armageddon. And then it'll go to evil entities, God and Magog, to the point where after the millennial reign of Christ and the loosing of Satan from the thousand-year imprisonment, he will promptly go and gather Gog and Magog and all the forces that hate God. He will rouse them up. At that point, as we heard in one morning call, going through Revelation 20, fire will just come down and consume them. That's it. It's over. Satan will be caught, thrown into the lake of fire. End of story. But for now, it's a very, very tense situation. I didn't get to see all the text posted, chat group, but I believe India posted something. I don't know if a friend is there or someone. But can you imagine being there? For some people, they're used to that, such as perhaps during World War II in London or in other major cities where Hitler tried to destroy the civilization there, take over. They hear the sirens at night, different times of the day, and they hear gunfire from the planes and bombs and all these things. They'll have their uh, shelters, bomb shelters and all these things. Still, can never get used to it too much, especially when loss of life is imminent. This is what Israel has been living under for a long time. If only the leader, such as King Isaiah, followed God faithfully all the time. If only the leaders would break down before God and say, God, the solution is not our political machinery. The solution to our problem here with all these nations against us, so much more bigger than us, constantly. It's become a lifestyle to keep looking over our shoulder and looking beyond the border. But was it the original design? Is there anyone in the land of Israel such as Solomon say, Lord, we want to do the right thing. Such as Hezekiah. But we follow what has been prophesied because God has foreknowledge. He foreknew that they're not going to listen. And so the prophecy came, not because God willed it, but because that's what the people willed. And he gave a foretelling of what's going to happen to the prophets. We pray for Israel. I prayed for Jerusalem earlier. prayed for Israel. As we mentioned, the life training school. In a spiritual sense, we are truly Jews. We don't have the physical blood and DNA of Abraham physically speaking, but we do have a spiritual DNA through Christ. And we are going to live in a place with the same namesake, Jerusalem. It's going to be called New Jerusalem. But the land is still of great importance to God because He carved it out for His people, the children of Abraham. He promised it. and never changes. 
until the new heavens and new earth in which the entire dwelling will be the new Jerusalem for the people of God. How awesome, how amazing, how God connects everything. And uh, with that, I mean to say that we should be interested in Israel. Very much so. We should be praying for Israel. Not because it's a movement, Christian Zionism, or something to do. I remember over 30 years ago going to some of these messianic places, congregations, and it was a lot of fun, and it felt good, and it did start to make sense. But if we don't understand the bigger picture, those things can kind of wear off or become a superficial kind of fun thing to do. Learning the culture and learning what the Seder is and the customs of Bar Mitzvah and all these things. And we can learn a whole lot. But what's the import of it for my spiritual life? The Lord said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I must do it. Do I understand why? Do I still have that dichotomy in my mind that I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew? But God said to do it, so I'm obligated to pray for Jerusalem. No, I'm a part of that fabric. Hallelujah. That's the truth. Each one of us are part of the Israel of God. That's exactly how Paul terms it. The Israel. He said, peace be upon the Israel of God. The people of God. He said, of two, he makes one new man. The Jew and the Gentile. But there's a connection of the land. Eris Yisrael, as they say. And when Jews want to make Aliyah, that is, go back to the homeland. In masses, they've done that. Though we don't have to do that. It'd be wonderful to visit, to walk the land that God Almighty stepped onto physically. It's amazing. But more than that, in our heart of hearts, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray for salvation. That people who have been privileged of God to be back in the homeland after such a long time should come to know the Messiah who made it possible. That even through this crisis right now, that's picking up intensity. We ought to be praying as believers, Lord God, not only protect them, Lord, the innocent people. We don't want to see bloodshed. We don't want the enemy either, civilians, to die, anyone. But especially the people who are not the instigators. They're being attacked constantly, harassed constantly. People have vocalized their intent. Leaders of Iran coming on American soil at famous universities. Even in New York, I believe Columbia University and other universities. Publicly saying, Israel has no right to exist, not even be a nation. They don't have any right to exist. Or at least they give assent to what is written in some of their national documents, constitutions, allusions to that. They have to live with this. What other country can, has to live with this? What other nation is getting attacked from within its border as well as from nations to the north and to the east simultaneously? 
it'll go to a point where they'll be surrounded. We don't know exactly when. It's going to happen not too long in the future. As believers, we ought to be praying, Lord, many, many Jews become born again, O Lord. May they know the peace of Jerusalem lies in the response to the gracious offer of God through the Messiah. As they say, Yeshua, Mashiach, the Messianic Jews. interesting. One of the problems right now is from the Gaza Strip area, and that's exactly what Isaiah dealt with here. The Philistines. He became victorious. So much so that some of the enemies brought tribute. The Ammonites in verse 8. Second Chronicles 26, 8. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. Who did that? God did that. And Isaiah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the corner buttress of the wall. Then he fortified them. Also he built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. Very prosperous, obviously. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. He really enjoyed what God gave and had a great interest in, similar to Solomon, in everything. Moreover, Isaiah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number on their role as prepared by Jael, the scribe and Messiah, the officer under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power. Notice, not only a, a great army, but mighty power. It's underscored here by the Spirit of God. These were men who were to be feared. To do what? To help God's man, the king, against the enemy. So secure. Doesn't God love to do that for us? He wants to protect us. He's the one that wrote that in Psalm 121. You don't have to worry about anything. He said, I don't sleep. Hallelujah. I don't get tired in slumber. I'm watching over you day and night. Because he set his love upon me, I will set him on high. Hallelujah. Psalm 91. He will prepare a table before me. Where? the presence of my enemies. He didn't say, you're going to jump from the valley of the shadow of death to some palace. But right there with the enemies watching, I'm going to lift you up. Hallelujah. Isn't he the best father? He loves us so much. Have we experienced some of it? Have we shortchanged ourselves by not obeying the Lord in some area? Have we caught the vision now? And say to ourselves, I'm going for it all. Hallelujah. Nothing's going to stop me now. Nothing. I have, I have no desire for the pleasures of this world that is sinful. I don't trust in money. I don't trust in my physical power. I surrender everything. My intellect, everything. My family, my business, my education. Without Jesus, I'm a big fat zero. 
Oh, I thank God for that revelation. Because now I know how I can be truly filled to overflowing by coming to the Savior who is the vine and as a branch connected to him, I really live now. Hallelujah. No more gossip, stealing, lying. There's a a well of forgiveness, a fountain of forgiveness. God will just wipe away everything that is against us. And help us to be what? As Isaiah, Isaiah experienced, peace and prosperity and power through all the promises of God. So he had prosperity. He had people bringing tribute to him, a mighty army, loyal people to him. When did he start reigning? As a teenager. 16 years old. God must have loved him a, a great deal. He loved Solomon, Jedediah, loved of the Lord. He certainly loved Isaiah. Then Isaiah prepared for them, for the entire army. Shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings to cast stones. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men. He had technology to be on the towers and the corners, to shoot arrows and large stones. Who can dodge these things coming from towers? So his fame spread far and wide. For he was marvelously helped till he became strong. Hallelujah. This is what God desires for us. To be marvelously helped. Each one of us. To establish us. How? It's not to make us escape from physical trials. And afflictions and harassment from the enemy altogether. But in the midst of whatever God has foreordained while we are walking with him the Lord said you will overcome them all until your enemies become your footstool in Christ glory be to God God helped him the Holy Spirit records that his war machine was fortified with wisdom that God gave to the men these are God's men this is God's army He's the Lord of hosts. He goes with Israel's army. Hallelujah. And he gave the wisdom, the ingenuity to these designers of weapons to make them so skillfully and effective that the enemies would have been all the more afraid the man not only has mighty people, mighty men, but he has technology beyond what we can handle. He's prosperous. Everything he touches turns to gold. Who's behind this? Almighty God. Hallelujah. No one else. So we would think that Isaiah rested at the end of his days, 52 long years, and uh, was gathered to his fathers because why? God loved this boy so much at 16 years of age, even though his dad was not so loyal. He prospered him, gave him such a long reign. I believe it's the longest reign in the history of the kings. 
maybe with the exception of Manasseh. But in that region, why? That's how God is. God is not partial. He didn't foreordain and predestinate in heaven, in eternity past. The only king I'm going to bless is Isaiah. The only one I want to prosper is this group. Because it's written, God so loved the world. And when did that love start? Did it start when the gospel was given? No, that love is from eternity past. That means he loved the world all along. That's why you see in the scriptures, we see different people from different regions outside of Israel finding tremendous favor with God. Not only does he assimilate them into his nation, he prospers them and gives them a name to the point where he exalts women from various undesirable backgrounds, makes them his princesses in the very genealogy of his divine son, Jesus Christ. Who? Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, these people that didn't belong here, including Ruth. God is equal opportunity. No wonder we can go freely and full of joy and full confidence. Tell everybody, Jesus loves you. He wants you to come home. He wants to bless you. You may have a whole history of demonic oppression and generational curses. He's here to break it because he loves you. And he wants to give you peace, prosperity, power. You don't go with some demonic twist of theology. Well, God has chosen some and not chosen others, so do the best you can. And I'm telling you because I'm obligated and uh, God loves you, but I don't know if he's going to save you. Why don't you pray real hard and maybe you're one of the elect. If not, I'm so sorry. It's a lie from the devil because the Bible says clearly God so loved the world. What kind of love is it? If he chooses some of his creation, his prized creation, mankind rejects others just because he wants to. Is that a salvation available to all? No. These are the kind of things that come in under the guise of famous and complicated theology, theological concepts. People just take verses and try to dissect them and put in their own views and forget about what God said through Paul, that God's not willing that anybody should perish, anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Forget about what God said, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Forget about what God said, very graphically portrayed through Hosea. Should a man take a prostitute? Wife, have unfaithful. God said, I'm showing you. I love you so much. Even when you rejected me and you're unfaithful, I'm trying to bring you back. 
It was God's idea that sent Paul to the Gentiles. It was God who sent Jonah all the way to Nineveh. It was God who sent his very son to cross into Gentile territory and to receive Gentiles. When he walked the earth, he loves the whole world. We can have this power, prosperity, and peace of God in our lives, even when we go through tremendous trials and afflictions and assaults from Satan, from hell. Because God said, if you fear me and keep my commandments, I will be your shepherd. I will be your provider. I will be your father. And you shall be to me sons and daughters. You know why? Because you came out from the unclean thing. As he says in Second Corinthians, Come out, my people. You have disobeyed and rejected me, went a-whoring after idols. You left me. But I love you. I'm not looking for your destruction. But you've got to come back. Just come back. Leave it. Come out from that stuff of compromise and sin, idolatry. I'll receive you. I will restore you. I'll reinstate you. I'll give you peace, prosperity, power. The security that Isaiah enjoyed was to be short-lived, relatively speaking, because the very next verse, verse 16 says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. He became strong. He became headstrong after that. God established him. He became proud. Notice the words the Spirit of God says to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Have you ever eaten a meal that is so satisfying and you are just holding your stomach thinking this was so good. Boy, am I blessed. Just when you think you had your fill of the best, here comes dessert. Your eyes are wide open. And you're thinking, more? Wow, this has got to be my day. After that's done. Other activities that really make you feel so comfortable and happy. And what happens? It could be that our hearts can get lifted up. How? By failing to give God glory and being humble. That's the danger. We read in Proverbs recently, before we finished that book, by God's grace, going over it at least, where the man says, don't give me too much, Lord. I may forget you. Don't give me too little. I may curse you or steal or do something. Just like the tongue in the book of James. Because the potential is there, because it is a popular misuse of the instrument that God gives that's meant to praise him and speak his word and to have the law of kindness. Doesn't mean because of the widespread misuse of it that that's how it ought to be. But we are aware, made aware by the Holy Spirit, any man, woman, or child can be prone to become 
proud when God blesses them. Because all of a sudden they get comfortable, we get comfortable, we can begin to talk the way we like, ignoring God's commandments. Joke the way we like, ignoring God's standard of holiness. Oppress people, put them down, sarcastically, very directly and forthrightly. All kinds of evil can happen. Jesus said, you know, it's out of the heart that all these evil things come about. So what's the lesson? Watch your heart. As he was blessed, but as God lifted him up socially, for all to see that his hand is with Isaiah, his heart became a Tower of Babel of sorts. And it's written, it happened to his destruction. We take caution, we take warning as we read the book of Hebrews, we'll see a number of warnings given in that book. Wonderful exhortations, the love of God manifest, but also clear warnings. We live in a day and age, as we know over and over again, we state this because it's important. People don't want to hear about the warnings. Some people don't even believe their warnings. They think it's something hypothetical that God just put it to fill in some pages and probably is for some cannibal somewhere on the other side of the world in some dark forest. No. It's written to believers. Because we can potentially become worse than the cannibals in some dark forest on the other side of the world. If we ignore the commandments and warnings of God. But we learn from this so that we become humble and because we're aware. You know what God said? He said, I need to be careful because, because I remember Isaiah. I remember that I heard I may not be a king, have an army and transgress in that manner, but maybe when my belly's full, I begin to say things I shouldn't because I'm so comfortable. I become very uh, prone to sin because I'm not watching the gates anymore. Who cares about the gates of my mouth, the gates of my eyes and ears? Right now I'm full and happy. Nobody can touch me. I think I'll last a while in this state of happiness. The transgression comes in. The pride that says, why not? Who's going to stop you? Look at you. You have money in the bank. You have food in your belly. And this is your downtime and leisure time. Do whatever you feel like. You can always go to God later if you did anything wrong. That's Satan looking to destroy a man or woman's soul. A child's soul. Complacency is a dangerous thing. and Over and over again, God warns us in the Bible. We see that very, very conspicuously brought up in the tale of these kings of Israel and Judah. As I said, Judah was the better of the two as far as the kings are concerned. There were some good kings. But even in this case, a man that was doing well, what happened? He got comfortable and he became proud. He overstepped his boundary. He transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. We don't have a temple now that we go to. We have the house of God. 
and that's the parallel there. We don't have a physical temple now, but we do have our bodies individually and corporately as a body of Christ, even now, as a family of God gathering together. Part of the universal temple of God. Paul said to Timothy that you may know how you ought to behave in the house of God, in the church of God. What is a no-no? Pride. Eager to overstep the boundary that God has set up. Set up. These are the things that we don't hear about often, or at all, most places. That there are boundaries that God sets in the house of God. for our own bodies God has specifically set up in as much as we're reading Hebrews in the morning he spoke about the Lord he's not from the tribe of Levi but of Judah yet there's a shift in the priesthood new priesthood with one high priest for all eternity the best the superior one the everlasting one the sinless one who offered the perfect sacrifice for us It was set up by God, even the former priesthood. God said, only these people can come in, period. Anybody else, you die. And in the Holy of Holies, one person on one day, David Tom, the high priest, by course, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, it was his turn. They do things by course, by order. Who set it up? God. It's not a free-for-all because we are under grace. God still has His presence and His requirements. How marvelous when we observe everything God said and enjoy His free grace. Hallelujah. There's no trouble then. We have to watch our temper. We have to watch any angry feelings, resentful feelings. Jealous feelings, the push to perform, the push to be seen and heard, the sudden thought that Satan can bring. Why don't you do this? That'd be neat. That'd be nice. We need to become aware that the devil can give very wonderful humanistic suggestions, even religious ones. He's a master at that. But as we see the way in which he took over Peter's mouth, began to rebuke the Lord for wanting to go to the cross. The Lord had to say, get behind me, Satan. It can still happen. But we don't have people to say, get behind me, Satan. We don't have the Lord physically, but spiritually, I should say, by the Spirit. If we're sensitive enough, the Spirit of God will say, that's a no-no. I know it sounds good. It sounds like a great idea. And people may love it. Even other leaders, you can call up certain leaders right now. They'll say, go for it. God bless you. I'll pray for you. I think it's a great idea. The Spirit of God may be saying, it's not from me. It's from below. Don't do it. We need the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and pray for that. Say, Lord, if these things are possible, that's one of the greatest lessons we can learn from this. To understand the potential of transgressing against God. And what precipitates that? What comes before that? It's a casual kind of Christianity. One in which there's a looser speech. 
in uh, more casual connection with God. And by and by, we can become blatant violators of the Spirit's commandments. This man, he entered into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. That place that was restricted to the priests. He said, I am prospering so much. I have everything I can imagine. As if today somebody says, you know what, I can go on Amazon.com. I can go to Krispy Kremes, whatever they have out there. And I am full and I have loads of cash left over to do more things. Been to Disney World 20 times. Went to Moscow and back. Wanted to check it out. Any place I can go. I did it all. I mean, I don't see any failure. And probably I won't have any in the future either. Looking at my track record, I'm doing pretty good. Ha ha. He he. You lose, I win. Look at all those people struggling over there. Pride just comes in. It was never an overnight thing when these kings fell. So it is with Christians. That's why the warnings come to take heed, to take heed, take heed. Be careful that you maintain a very humble, reverent attitude to God and His Word. Consider, as Jesus kept saying over and over again, consider how you hear. He that hath ears, let him hear. In other words, you can hear this, right? Now, concentrate and take in exactly what I'm trying to tell you and keep it. So Azariah the priest went in after him. The grace of God just mobilized these men. They had the fear of God. They knew this man is completely deluded. Satan is moving this king. We love him, but right now he's following the devil. And the devil's trying to slaughter him. They saw him make his way there. They ran after him. 81 of them. Azariah plus 80 priests, valiant men. And they withstood King Isaiah and said to him, It is not for you, Isaiah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Don't you know there's a calling? Don't you know God set them apart? Why are you overstepping the boundary? You're in trouble. Get out of the sanctuary. For you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Now, a normal human being would look at even these subjects. I should say, people in his kingdom, they're called of God. They're actually in a higher plane with God. But for all intents and purposes, they're in his kingdom. During his reign. You see, 81 of these consecrated individuals coming after you to say, stop. You'd think that he would be shaken. Say, oh my Lord, what, what am I doing? What's, happened? What's gotten into me? He became furious and he had a censer in his hand. He said, I'm going to do it anyway. To burn incense. While he was angry with who? The people who represented God, leprosy broke out on his forehead. 
before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. God judged them on the spot. He said, you're not going to listen to me? You know the law. And at the last second, I'm trying to bail you out. You're still so foolish? Thank God he didn't die on the spot. He deserved to. God had mercy even then. Leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him. And there on his forehead, he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. They'll always remember this part of scripture. Never forget it. Ever since I could remember actually reading it. The next line says it all. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. He found out then that you don't play with God. No matter how prosperous you are, no matter how much of a role you're on, God's just prospering me, oh, happy, I'm going to sing worship songs and I'm going to call up my friend, my brother, my sister and talk a little bit about this and that and everything's good and I'm going to be happy when I go to bed and get up and praise the Lord and it's all well and good, but we need to be very careful not to become casual with the things of God and the presence of God and make sure we stay humble under the mighty hand of God. He got to a point where once he was struck, it's as if he was telling the priest, you don't have to tell me twice. I'm, I'm getting out of here right now. Please excuse me. I'm dashing out of here because God has struck me. King Isaiah was a leper until the day of his death. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to get judged by the Lord like this because of pride. And he was doing so well. What happened? It's a mirror for us to make sure we don't imitate him. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. But he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Never, ever came back to the house of the Lord. He was judged. Because in view of everyone, he had the audacity to say, I don't care if God said this. I'm going to do it anyway. Watch this. Because so far, nobody's been able to stop me. In fact, I'm beginning to think that even God can't reverse the prosperity that he's given me. Who knows what kind of heinous thoughts the devil would have injected into him at lightning speed. The Jotham, his son, was over the king's house. A beautiful king, Jotham. One of the few who began well, ended well. But this King Isaiah, it says the rest of his acts, from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote, so Isaiah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belonged to the kings, where they said he is a leper. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Some people 
They don't like to hear sermons like these. Some people don't like warnings or strong warnings. I happen to be one who does. Not because I relish and cherish hearing things that are potential. Punishments and torment because of disobedience. But because I know it's for my good that God says anything. And I don't have to go that route. I don't have to face those consequences by the grace of God. I can end up ending up well. But it takes a person to readjust their desires and really put on the spiritual thinking cap and understand why is God saying, why did you record this? What is he saying to me? Can I afford to ignore? Hey, let's read some Psalms and praise God all day long. Why not? There's certainly a time to do that. But God at different points, he knows what we need. And he comes to nip it in the bud before the complacency sneaks in or while it has started to settle in already. God knows what we need. I didn't plan to even speak about this. But it's good for everyone, even the ones who are walking, just like Isaiah was, walking with God, prosperous, secure, feeling the power of God. To make sure that we don't become casual with the things of God. The presence of God, the church of God. Now, there are false agencies in the earth under the guise of Christianity who control people and they give edicts and they put a certain fear in the people. You walk into the houses of worship, it's an eerie feeling. And you feel a little spooky and you feel humbled. You feel like you're a nobody. And there are rituals and procedures and you feel like, well, I'm glad I'm here. I don't know what's going on exactly, but I feel like I've entered the house of God. At least it's different from where I just came from off the street or from home. And I hear liturgy and I hear uh, these echoes in this large place. I hear singing and it's just happening. And there's a sense of control. You have to pay your dues. The school connected with this church is having a dance with the kids and parents. You have to pay up. And by the way, don't try to read the Bible too much because we're here to interpret for you. You just need to follow what we say. Because ultimately the church has the authority to tell you what's in the Bible. What you can read, what you can't read. And Thank God we've come to the truth. Where there's a counterfeit fear supposedly of God there's a genuine and we cannot ignore the genuine because we have come to know the other one was false we need to be very alert we don't want to become casualties we don't 
We want to be careful, not complacent, because God means to prosper us. He wants to bless us. He wants to make us full of his power by the Holy Spirit. Look at Stephen and the people in the Bible, the book of Acts. Men filled with the Holy Spirit. Women that adore the Lord, obviously filled with the Spirit. And down the ages, every man or woman of, woman of God who truly fits that title, that uh, kinship with the living God, you'll find that in their lives, they're on guard against complacency 24-7, or as best as they could. And eventually it became 24-7. We're on a good path, the ancient path, to true holiness, true righteousness, true safety, true confidence, true favor, blessing upon blessing from God, individually and together as the body of Christ. Perhaps at some point we'll read about Jotham. We want to end up like Jotham. We want to guard against what his dad and granddad went through. Because they weren't loyal. Because they transgressed. They were doing well. But they took God for granted. And they overstepped their boundary. Even to the point of, in the case of Isaiah, going to the house of God. What kind of foolishness is that? Effectively saying, I'm bigger than the temple. I'm bigger than the priesthood. In fact, I'm the one in authority, not the God who created the priesthood and the temple. Horrible sin. No wonder he was judged. Still, as we read in the book of Psalms, he was not judged according to what he deserved. Just like us, we have to be so thankful and uh, look forward to the blessings of God Look forward to God answering prayers more and more as we do what? Be careful to heed His commandments. The one who loves the Lord will keep the commandments of God. And Jesus said, my Father and I will love Him. My Father will love Him and we will come and make our dwelling with that person. That's what we want. Glory be to God. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the understanding you give regarding Israel, our position regarding Israel, the prayers that we ought to pray. Lord, when we know we have to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as is written in the Old Testament, as believers, we need to pray for the peace that comes from the Messiah through the shed blood on the cross. The Jews need to become born again. Lord, I pray that many of them through this crisis time, O God, would heed the gospel. Come to you, Lord. Some of them, Lord, in the secret of their hearts. The secret place of their hearts, Lord. Just saying, I can't say this out loud now, but I just know he's the Messiah. Become born again. Eventually come out and tell the whole world. 
Lord, the nation would have peace, have mercy upon your land. God in heaven, Jesus, be with the IDF, even if many of them don't know you, for the sake of Zion, Lord, for Zion's sake, Lord. Continue to give them your grace. Turn many hearts to you, Lord, even among the soldiers, Jesus. You're able, you're able, you're able. Lord, if you can give Muslims, Lord, their enemies, multitudes of them that we've heard over the years, dreams and visions, where you come to them directly to say, I am the Messiah, Isa, Jesus, son of Miriam, I am the son of God. And Lord, they're shaken and they surrender to you. They become born again. Many, many secret disciples there until they come out. How much more you can do it all, God, for your own people, the descendants of Abraham. Lord, we pray for a massive, massive conversion of Jews in these last days, Lord, to come to know the living God. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon them, Lord. The elderly, the middle-aged, the younger ones, Lord, the whole families. Have mercy upon them, Jesus. Get the gospel. I pray that your people who are there, Messianic Jews and Gentiles who are Christians, all of them would mobilize, Father, and seek the opportunity to speak about the Messiah, the only one who's the Prince of Peace, especially at this time. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Lord, for your word, for helping us to see what things may be lurking, trying to get into us and move us to overstep our boundaries before you to set us up for a fall. Thank you, Lord. Because you're the one that said, Lord, you didn't say the devil's gone after you died on the cross. You said that he's prowling around, looking whom he can devour. You need to be on guard and vigilant. Keep him out by heeding your commandments. We thank you, Jesus. I thank you for the peace that's in our homes through you, your blood, upon the lentils, Lord, the doorposts of our own hearts. Oh, my God, sanctify the place where we live. Sanctify the place where you live in our hearts. We thank you and praise you, Father, for your word. Continue to bless and strengthen your people, Lord. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for every good thing you've done and are doing, Lord. As we continue to pray, Lord, and we pray for one another and the things that are going on amongst our spiritual family, the people who are not well, Lord, and the people who are evangelizing, all the things we've prayed for so far and continue to pray. Thank and praise you, Jesus. Amen.